0: luke chapter 1 verses 39 to 56 and before we look at this together let me pray for us briefly god would bless the reading and preaching of his word father in heaven we do pray that you would do a work of restoration and revival in our souls we cry out to you with the psalmist that you would revive us according to your word that you would do great and marvelous things for us as you did for mary and for elizabeth we pray that you would make us attentive as your word is read and preached. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would <clears throat> make us to see you and to hear you, the good shepherd, the redeemer, the savior of the world. We pray that you would draw us, Heavenly Father, to your son, that we might come to him and that we might find rest and that we might find joy and rejoicing in him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. and. Here, uh, Luke, the beloved physician and the uh, gospel historian, writes, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of the Of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary returned with her about three months, remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, there is one thing that I do not like, and every time I tell people I, I don't like them, they usually argue with me, and I learn very quickly that I am in the minority. I am not a fan of musicals. So if you are a fan of musicals, I've already had plenty of people argue with me about how I know nothing and how wonderful they are. I, I've always found it strange that there are these musicals where people are in dark alleys dancing and singing, and it just doesn't make any sense to me why they would be dancing and singing in dark alleys. Uh, the settings don't seem to fit the songs often. I know. Sound of Music is wonderful. That's the exception. I get it. I'll give you that. But, but uh, musicals have always sort of perplexed me because... Uh, Many of the songs seem untimely or um, unsubstantiated or unnecessary. And here, as we look at Luke's gospel account, we have something of a musical. And it's actually a very wonderful musical. It's a two-part musical. It is a God-inspired musical. These are the songs of Christmas. As Luke has now told us about the conception of Jesus, the miraculous conception, and about Mary going to Elizabeth's house. He now records for us these marvelous poems that Elizabeth and Mary have, by inspiration of the Spirit, sung before the Lord. They are interacting with one another. There is everything appropriate about this musical. Everything that happens should happen. Everything that happens, happens spontaneously. Everything that happens, and you get the sense that Luke, who is a historian, who probably didn't love poetry who probably was more like me, would have had something of an aversion to musicals perhaps, is nevertheless giving us very detailed accounts about this redemptive musical that is happening in the home of Elizabeth. Now Christians have loved these songs for generations, the Song of Elizabeth and then what we know as the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, are some of the most beloved songs. They've inspired symphonies. They have inspired orchestras. They have been uh, the very essence of so much of what we celebrate when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And Luke is giving us here a very detailed account. You know, historians have often speculated that Luke must have known either someone in Elizabeth and Zachariah's home, or someone in Mary's home, or Mary herself, most likely, to have such detailed accounts of what happened at this time and in this place, in this home, and with these songs. It's actually marvelous the detail, the intricacies, the the absolute um, the absolute historical precision with which Luke is giving us this. And notice that he tells us, as he is uh, careful to intimate these historical markers, notice verse 39, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Now, we looked briefly at this last week. Uh, It's probably that Mary's parents sent her off out of a sense of shame. Here is a young girl who's not married, who has conceived, and they probably sent her away on this arduous journey, yes, to be comforted by Elizabeth, who is also conceived miraculously, though not as miraculously, and yet she is, being, she is being sent off, and Mary, in humility and in meekness, goes and does what her parents no doubt tell her to do, and she, a girl of probably 13 years old, makes this journey not an easy journey, and she enters the house of Zechariah, And she greets Elizabeth. Now this morning we are going to see that no sooner has Mary come into this home that we first have Elizabeth's song of praise. Um, We'll see how John the Baptist leaps in the womb. He sets off that musical uh, 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 transition, as it were. He is the transitional figure where everybody starts jumping in and singing. John the Baptist leaps. Elizabeth sings. Mary sings. And we all benefit as we watch and listen. And we are going to see this morning those two songs, first Elizabeth's song, and then secondly Mary's song. We'll notice in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb. Now, this is the only time we are told of an infant, an unborn child, hearing and consciously responding. This is not going to be a sermon uh, for pro-life causes, but clearly we are told in the case of one child in human history that God enabled the unborn John in the womb of Elizabeth to hear the gospel and to respond appropriately to that gospel. You know, no doubt Elizabeth had felt John kicking and moving many times in her womb. I don't know what that is. The women in this, this church who have had children know what that's like. No doubt she knew what it was like to feel John moving around in her, but something different happens. Notice that Luke tells us the babe leapt in her womb. I like to envision in my own weird way uh, John jumping up and down. Not just one leap, but many leaps. He is leaping. He is rejoicing, and in that sense, He is functioning as the prophet that God had called him to be. John is functioning already in the womb uh, in the way God had called him to function. His whole life was to point to Christ. His whole life was to culminate when he would stand and point and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the coming of Jesus into the world is so great and so glorious And it should produce so much joy that even the infant unborn John experiences that joy in his soul in the womb. That's amazing. That's amazing. You say, how can that be? How can anything be? How can the virgin birth be? How can the resurrection be? How can anything the Bible sets out be? Well, the Holy Spirit, no doubt, is filling this infant prophet this forerunner of the Redeemer in the womb. Notice, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is there, filling Elizabeth, giving her joy, giving her son joy, all because of the glorious news that Christ has come into the world. Now, everything that's going to follow, the two songs that are going to follow, are all fixated on that. You know, uh, the theme, if you want an overarching theme here in. Uh, This passage this morning, it is, when we hear the news of Christ and we believe in Christ, we experience the joy of Christ in deep and profound ways. That's the overarching theme. When we hear about Christ and we believe in Christ, we experience the joy of Christ in deep and profound ways in our souls. That's what's happening. Everybody in this musical narrative, everybody in this musical is experiencing the joy of Christ. You know, John uh, would say in John chapter 3, well into his ministry, as many people are going to Jesus and even some of his disciples are going over to Jesus, he'll say um, he likens himself to the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom. And Jesus is the bridegroom. And he says, uh, the friend of the bridegroom hears the bridegroom's voice and rejoices that the bridegroom has come. Here, John is already the friend of the bridegroom. He is in the womb. He is rejoicing that the heavenly bridegroom has come for his bride. He's rejoicing that God is fulfilling everything in the fullness of time, that God is fulfilling all of his plans, everything he promised, every word of the Old Testament is happening now. And his rejoicing, as I've already noted, triggers Elizabeth's rejoicing. My, it's all so spontaneous. Isn't that wonderful? The joy that Christ gives his people often is so unexpected and spontaneous. This wasn't planned. Elizabeth didn't go to bed the night before and pray that God would prepare her heart to rejoice in worship as she went to the synagogue and prepared her to hear the word and to receive it with all meekness and and eagerness and trembling and fear like we often emphasize that we should be doing. This is all happening spontaneously. Spontaneously. Mary comes, Mary proclaims, John rejoices, John leaps, John is dancing in the womb, and Elizabeth begins to rejoice. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. I think there is a word here, by the way, that when one believer experiences joy in the gospel, others, by way of overflow and interconnectedness, experience joy. And when one believer is embittered, as a warning, other believers are often embittered. Isn't that interesting? Here is a connection. Notice, Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. The babe leapt in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Now, there are crescendos in this musical. There are actually going to be stages. Uh, It starts off with John jumping and dancing in the womb, as it were, and in great joy and exaltation and and then Elizabeth crying out, it, 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 it opens, the first stage, has this loud, triumphant proclamation. And, you know, on first glance, you might say, well, she's praising Mary. Many in church history have mistakenly thought that this was about Mary, because Mary is mentioned in this. She is blessed among women, and all people have called her blessed, and we call her blessed that she had this enormous privilege but this is not about Mary none of the joy is because of Mary none of the focus is on Mary elizabeth is focusing entirely on the lord jesus christ now very interesting elizabeth herself remember had conceived and you might think she she could have harbored a bit of competitive jealousy to her younger family member that happens quite often in this world. Why does she get all the attention? I mean, my my conception's miraculous too. Why Why is everybody focusing on her? And here notice that Elizabeth is so selfless. She's so emptied of any sense of herself and she exclaims with a loud cry, blessed are you among woman, women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She is focusing on the one who is inside the womb of the Virgin Mary. She is focusing on the Christ who is being formed in the womb of Mary, just like the Holy Spirit comes and forms him in us. The Bible says that the same spirit comes and Christ is formed in us and that our focus then is on Christ and on God. Elizabeth is focused, noticed. Notice she says, "'Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb.'" Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's essentially saying, why would this proclamation about the Lord and Savior come to me? Why would the Lord of heaven and earth come into my home? Why would I even be privileged to hear this greeting? She is utterly humbled. She doesn't have, um, she doesn't have an entitlement mentality. And we'll see that about Mary as well. Mary is exceedingly humble, but... Elizabeth here is rejoicing over the birth and the coming of the Redeemer. And notice, notice she says in verse forty four, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, it seems that it's focused on Mary, the mother of the Lord, blessed among women. She will see a fulfillment. How is it that I'm now telling you it's focused on the one in her womb? Well, notice that Elizabeth actually uh, never says, Mary, you are so great, you are so deserving. She actually goes to the third person. Notice that last phrase. She says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She's acknowledging that all Mary has done is believed the word God has spoken to her, that where the joy was, was not in Mary coming into the home, but Jesus coming into the home. God fulfilling his promises in Christ. Now, that's a word for us, because in the church, no less than in the world around us, it's very easy for us to give glory to other people and things. Um, even to ministries and churches and ministers and theologians. And, and it's very easy for us to give praise to men and to miss The God who has given those gifts, Martin Lloyd-Jones, reflecting on these passages said, you know, we're all too often consumed with the gifts, and we forget the one who has given the gifts. But here, Elizabeth has not forgotten. She she has not lost sight. And then notice, secondly, and the bulk of this passage is focused on Mary's song, notice that Mary has her own song. You know, the question that you might ask, and maybe you haven't, but... Many have asked: Is did Mary pen this on the way to Elizabeth's house? Did she did she think about what she was going to say while she made her way on that long journey? Did she did she plan this or was this spontaneous? And I think the answer is um, yes and yes. I think Mary planned this because it is utterly biblical. And yes, I think it's spontaneous because I don't think she premeditated on writing this hymn, this song of praise. She knew the scriptures so well. She knew God so well. She knew herself so well. She knew God's work so well that she could spontaneously bring forth God's word. You'll notice in verses 46 to 55 that there is Old Testament language. Um, Phil Riken has pointed out that while there is certainly drawing off of Hannah's song, Remember that in 1 Samuel 2 where Hannah said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and to inherit a seat of honor. Clearly, Mary's song is paralleling Hannah's song. But Riken says the Magnificat either quotes from or alludes to verses from Genesis Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk and Zephaniah. Now why is that important? Because Mary's 13 and she knows the Bible better than most 60 and 70-year-old saints in the church today. And that is both to be an encouragement and a rebuke. Here is a girl who is so utterly saturated in scripture that when she sings god's praises she's just pulling bible verses from everywhere appropriately and contextually and properly when she wants to praise god she knows how to do it because she's saturated in the bible Um, i think there's a word there certainly for those of us who are adults and who need to know the scriptures better. But there's a word there for the children of this congregation that no matter how young, if we give ourselves to studying scripture, we too can be filled with it the way Mary was and respond the way that Mary does. Well, will notice that Mary's song goes through several stages. In verses 46 and 47, she has an introductory statement. We want to look at that. And then there are three stages or progressions in everything that Mary says in her song, notice first the introductory phrase: "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior." Now, um, Sinclair Ferguson has said Mary was a shorter catechism girl. Um, first question of the shorter catechism: uh, What is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She is giving us a very simple summary of everything that our life is to be, everything that our praises are to be. She is focusing beyond herself to the God who is doing great wonders. She is fixated on the living God. She's not focused first and foremost on herself. She knows how to look past even the amazing thing that has happened to her in part and to see who God is and what he's doing in the world. Notice what lloyd Jen says. Uh, what is the cause of Mary's adoration and of her praise? Of course, God himself is who he is and is doing what he is doing in the world. Mary's eye is not upon herself. Mary is full of humility. She describes herself as what she was. Your handmaiden. There is nothing here about the queen of heaven. Mary isn't thinking about herself. Mary has seen something that makes her forget herself. And this is the ultimate test of a true understanding of what happened when God, in the fullness of the times, sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Mary is rejoicing, not in the fact so much that she is to be given this great privilege. She has been reminded by Elizabeth of what it is and that people are going to call her blessed, and she repeats that, but that isn't the thing that really moves her. What is the thing that makes her magnify the Lord and her spirit to rejoice in God, her savior. Well, it is this, what God is doing this historic event. That is marvelous. Everything that God is everything that God is doing. Now notice as Mary begins to unravel this song and to sing this song of praise, she gives a three part division. Um, She essentially divides this up by focusing on what we might call the anatomy of God. She talks about what God sees with his eyes, what God does with his arms, and what God has spoken with his mouth. She tells us about God's grace. She tells us about God's power and about his condescension. And notice as she begins to unpack that, she says God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Now this is marvelous because if we are ever going to praise the Lord the way Mary does, we have to know that God considers his people, that he he takes note of his people, that he thinks of his people. The psalmist will say in, um, I believe it's Psalm 40, that the thoughts that God thinks toward us are more than can be numbered than the hairs of our head in multitude. That's amazing, that God considers the lowly estate of his people. Here is a virgin girl. Here's a girl who's poor. Here's a girl who lives in a despised town. Here's a girl who's, who's engaged to a carpenter, not a lucrative uh, venture, in a small despised town um, of which uh, citizens were despised by many in Israel, and she's a peasant, and she's conceived out of wedlock. And, and Mary says, God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call, call me blessed. You know, one of the greatest hindrances to our lives is when we think God owes us something or people owe us something. The second I start to think the Lord owes me something or others owe me something is the second I start to complain, grumble, uh, backbite, gossip, slander. Demean, tear down. That is the source. That's the root. I deserve better. And Mary, nowhere in this song ever says I deserve anything. She says God has looked on the humble estate of His maidservant And then notice what she says in verse forty-nine: He who is mighty has done great things for me. She, she has a sense of astonishment. How could God look on me? How could God do great things for me? Why would God choose me? Why would God make me hear his voice? Why would the Lord make me see my need for the Redeemer? Why would he give me eyes to see? Why would he bring me from death to life? Why would he do any of that for me? Mary is astonished that the Lord would do this, and we should be astonished. You know, I think there's a serious word here for us. If we are not uh, rejoicing as we ought to be, It means one of two things. Either uh, we have lost sight of what we had once gained sight of, and we need to regain sight of it, or we've never gained sight of Jesus. Um, I heard a theologian say, if we're not rejoicing in Christ in great humility and adoration now, then heaven will most certainly be boring to us, and if heaven would be boring to you, then you are disqualified from going to heaven. Uh, That's the reality. Mary Here is showing us what it means to be redeemed, to rejoice uh, in the Redeemer, to acknowledge that God has looked on her, though she is undeserving. And then secondly, she speaks in the second stage of her uh, musical. She speaks now of the power of God. Notice verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those Of humble estate, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, Mary has clearly gotten this from Hannah's song, but she's also gotten it from the rest of the scripture. She has learned who God is. She knows how God works. God does not manifest his power uh, in exalting proud people that think they control God. God does not ever manifest his power. In proud people that think that they can control God, or that they are God, or that they control their own lives, or their own destinies, or any single event in their life. You know, we confessed this morning in the reading of the law that we ought not go and say, I'm going to go to this city or that city, I'm going to buy, sell, I'm going to trade, I'm going to make a profit, because James essentially says God could just say, Dead. What's your life? Instead, we should say, if the Lord wills, we will live. We will live. If he wills, we will live. And notice that Mary tells us that God goes in and he he does the unexpected. When God wants to show his power, this is amazing, because we think God should display his power for people who are doing powerful things. But when God wants to display his power, it's in the most unlikely, unexpected, and unimaginable ways And when you tell others about it, a poor teenage peasant girl she realizes this is how God works. Or her son being nailed to the tree. The Bible says all the infinite power of God is in Christ being crucified. Not in movers and shakers who have a zeal for his kingdom not in people that can leverage their their finances to make great things happen for the kingdom of God, not in really intelligent people who think by their wisdom and their knowledge, they can lead people forward in making advancements for God by a naked man nailed to a tree, hanging under the wrath of God, Mary's son, and he overthrows all the proud and all the haughty, He overthrows the wealthy. He overthrows the intellectual. He overthrows every preconception that men have, and he makes his strong arm known in holy and unexpected ways. Notice that as Mary um, talks about what God does, she intimates that things are not what they should be. Uh, The Danish philosopher uh, Soren Kierkegaard, who had a great many very odd things to write, Um, did uh, give a great illustration. He said, you know, the world fallen in its fallen condition is like uh, a thief has entered in to a store, and instead of stealing anything in the store, the thief has taken all the price tags and switched them around so that the values on everything are confused. It's a great illustration. What men value, God doesn't value. What God values, men don't value. And when God shows his power... He does it to switch those price tags around to show you what God values and where God exhibits his power. Notice that Mary, and it's odd, isn't it, that Mary is almost seeing all of human history in her experience. She has the Redeemer in her womb. I mean, imagine the thoughts that Mary must have had. I can't even begin to imagine. Nine months of carrying around the Redeemer of the world who is going to give everlasting life to his people and redeem them from Satan, sin, and death is in her womb. That's, that's amazing. And, and it's as if she sees beyond that experience, she sees beyond the immediate, and she sees everything that God is going to accomplish even in her situation through the Redeemer, that in all of human history, God is going to tear down nations and rulers and principalities and powers and authorities, that God is going to bring low every single person and nation and, dare I say, a church that exalts itself against him in his glory, and he's going to raise up the lowly, and he's going to exalt the needy, and he's going to feed the hungry, And he's going to send the rich away empty. And he is going to overthrow everything that this fallen world is. Now, there's a word there for us. Because if we want to see God's power in our lives, then we have to come to terms with the fact that, like Mary, we don't deserve it. We have nothing. We are nothing. He owes us nothing. We shouldn't get anything good. And yet, the one who comes to terms with that fact And looks in faith to Jesus crucified and risen is the one that experiences all the power, the strong arm of God in his or her soul. That is an amazing thought. When we come to realize our humble estate, when we have the pride in our hearts scattered by the gospel and our own exaltation brought down low, we are in a place where God then manifests his power. And raises us up. You know, last week was 50 years since Johnny Erickson Tata had her accident. And thinking about her, what a great example. 17 years old, quadriplegic, brought low, brought down, brought to a place of emptiness where she has nothing. And God uses that one 50 million times more than he's used any of us. Because God's power is manifested, as Mary sings here, to the unexpected and the lowly. And then notice Mary in the third and final stage of this song moves away from her own experiences, and she looks out now at what God is doing, yes, for her, and yes, what he will do in Christ for everyone who trusts in him, and she sees now the collective work of God, what he's doing in his church at large. This is amazing. God had spoken and promised by the prophets Not just that he would knit together a redeemer in the womb of the virgin. That's just one tiny manifestation of what God promised to do in order to accomplish redemption. But the entire gambit, the new heavens, the new earth, that God was going to redeem a people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. That God was going to redeem all of his people who he had given to his son in eternity, for whom the son came and died. Notice Mary says in verse 54, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever now. And the Apostle Paul will go to great lengths to say, if you are in Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. That God promised Abraham that by faith he would be the heir of the world that by trusting in the Redeemer to come, the Redeemer that Mary now has in her womb, uh, those who trusted in him would inherit everything. And Mary is reflecting back on that early promise in Israel's history, the covenantal promise. She is saying, God is so glorious. God is so worthy of praise. God is worthy of being magnified. And by the way, let me just say this. When Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she's saying, her soul was like a, a lens through which others saw a portion of how great and how big God actually is, because we don't see his infinite glory as we ought because of our sin, because of the fallenness of the world, because of the voices and the noises around us, because of the world, the flesh and the devil. And Mary's saying here, listen to what I have to tell you that magnifies God. And this is the final thing. She says, God remembers his covenant promises. God makes good on everything that he says. God promised redemption, and God has fulfilled that redemption. And God is going to redeem a people for himself, who he's going to bring to himself for all of eternity, who are going to inherit the world. That's amazing. Mary sees all those things as a 13-year-old pregnant virgin. And sings those things. Now, the question we have today is, when I examine my life, am I praising and rejoicing in God the way Elizabeth and Mary are? That's the big question. Um, To my shame, as I came to this this morning and came to preach this morning, I realized I have a deficiency in my heart in this regard. At this period in my life, I am not rejoicing praising and delighting in the Lord as I ought to be. I need this word. Um, It's not enough to say that we rejoice. It's not enough to say um, we love Christ. It's not enough to say, yeah, I believe these things. Uh, Mary is showing us how the gospel needs to work in us deeply to stir our affections, to stir our thoughts. Notice that everything Mary does here is because she knows the scriptures. The only way we are ever going to get where Mary is, if we've been there before and we're not there now, maybe we are there now and we want to remain there. Maybe we've never been there. The only way we get there is by knowing God's word, knowing everything he's said about Jesus Christ, knowing everything he's fulfilled in Christ, knowing everything about God's, and this is anthropological, eye, arm, and mouth, everything that he sees, everything that he does, everything he's spoken. And as we see that by faith, we are stirred up to praise and exalt and magnify God, our Savior. Notice, and i just leave you with this thought, Mary opens this song by acknowledging that she's a sinner who needs a Savior. You know, we've done uh, many people a great disservice by not refuting the false notion that Mary didn't need a savior. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Um, it was Martin Luther who said, uh, the totality of the Christian life is summed up in the personal pronoun, the first personal pronoun. If you're here today, have you said, Christ is my Savior. He is my Savior. That's what it means to be a Christian. As we do that, and we do it in truth, and we do it according to His scriptures, and we remember all that He is and all that He does, we too praise God as Mary did. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us hearts like Mary, that you would remove from us any sense that we deserve anything we pray lord that you would also fill our mouths and our hearts with great joy and rejoicing in all that you've done for us in christ we pray that you would humble us low that you would help us to see who you are that everybody in this place would leave singing and rejoicing and praising you we pray our god that you would help us now even as we come to the table to be strengthened in the joy and rejoicing that is ours in christ we pray these things in jesus name